Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. I was looking the other day at some guidebooks. You know, you look at these little books that tell you when you haven't visited a place, they'll tell you how to get somewhere. And I found this guidebook of London, and I'll show you a picture of it on the screen. It's called An Unreliable Guide to London. And I thought, well, that's some really clever marketing, right? Like, I, I appreciate, like, s- the snarky humor of that. Like, oh, you know, other guides are reliable. This one's unreliable. Surprise. But then I thought, the last thing I want in a guidebook is for it to be unreliable. Like, that's not what you want at all. I mean, if someone made a map and they're like, actually, we don't, here's our map, buy it. Actually, we don't know where any of this stuff is, really. We're just kind of winging it over here. You'd be like, that's a terrible map, right? Or if, if you went to go take a tour of a place and you go to like, you know, you go to like a tour of a castle and the tour guide shows up and he's like, hey, welcome to the castle. Truth is, I've never been here before, so let's go learn this thing together and discover it. You'd be like, I want my money back. I need a refund on my tour because the one thing you expect from a tour guide is that they, they've been there, they're like they're reliable, they know what they're doing. And that is true of tours, that's true of guidebooks, that's true of a lot of things. You want reliable information so you can make an informed decision. If I want to know where's the best restaurant to eat at in Richmond, I want to talk to people who live in Richmond and have eaten out a lot and go like, what's great? You know, that's reliable information. If I want to go be a nurse, I want to talk to someone who's a nurse and say like, hey, what's that career field like? Can you, can you kind of walk me through that? What, what would that be like to, to do that thing? You want to look at people who have gone before you. And if you're going to climb a mountain and you're going to go through a real treacherous part of a mountain, you want someone who's a reliable guide who's been up there before who can say like, this is the way you should go. You want to go here, not here. You want to take this path. That's important stuff. In this series, we're talking about mountain climbing, except we're not exactly talking about mountain climbing. We're talking about a different kind of mountain that we all climb. Um, I I got the idea originally from reading, probably six months ago, reading David Brooks's book, uh, The Second Mountain, and he basically gives this this idea that in our culture in the West, there is a mountain that we climb in, in, in life, and it happens to you sometime, you know, high school, college, and beyond. You are told, the narrative of our culture says, climb this mountain, it is a mountain of success. And so you go up that and you're supposed to get a house, a spouse, money, career, uh, you know, a a pet, a picket fence, and and kind of the whole thing. Get get all of that stuff, and that is the mountain you're supposed to be climbing. Just go do it. And inevitably, one of three things happens. You either climb that mountain and you're successful, and it doesn't feel that great. You get to the top and and it feels kind of empty, and that pushes you down into the valley. You climb part of the way up and you always think you're gonna climb, and you always think you're gonna get there, but it's very frustrating and you never quite make it and that feels like being down in the valley or on your climb up that first mountain something happens to you death divorce disease something happens that uh, death of a loved one or whatever something that happens that knocks you off that mountain and pushes you down into the valley and at that point in the valley you have the choice you can double down and try to climb the first mountain again or you can do what millions and billions of people have discovered before us you can discover that there's a second mountain to climb. There's something else life is calling us to, that life isn't about achieving more and getting bigger, better, more. There's something else going on. And there's a second mountain to climb, and that is a mountain of significance and meaning and purpose and love and connection. And so I want to talk about the skills necessary to climb that second mountain and and talk about how we can do it. Because I think we're all feeling and have all felt the first mountain in our culture and feel like, what is it like to try to climb that? But what would it look like to climb something different? 
uh, how, do we, how do we go about that? And in this series, we kind of set it up last week, but I want to give you four things along the way. Four uh, different climbing uh, accessories, I guess you could say, that you're going to need on this climb for the second mountain. And today I want to talk about reliable guides, and particularly I want to talk about how faith is necessary to climb the second mountain. Now, faith is something that you see all over the world and all throughout history. It's a very important thing. If you think about world religions, they all have faith, right? If you're going to be a Muslim, you need to believe that there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That is a statement of faith that you have to make in order to be a Muslim. If you're going to be a Jew, you have to make the statement of faith that you believe in you know, God, the creator, and that, that he is the only God and there are no other gods. Like That's a statement of faith. If you're going to be a Christian, you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That is a statement of faith that you make. If you're a Buddhist, you're going to believe in the teachings of the Buddha, that they are good and they are true and that you're going to follow them. These are all statements of faith that people make. Now, what I just described in those, in those major world religion categories, that's, that's billions of people in the world and throughout history right there. But I would argue that even people who are not religious at all have faith. Even if you're sitting here today and you're like, actually, I'm, I'm probably an agnostic, maybe an atheist, you still have faith. You still live by faith. It's unavoidable. Like an example, if you drove here, you got in a car. And if you're going to drive home today, you're going to get in the car with the belief that no one is going to hit you while you're driving. You believe you're going to stay in your lane and they're going to stay in theirs. Now, you can control whether you stay in your lane, but you have no control over those other fools on the road. You don't know what they're going to do. They're going to be distracted. They're going to be texting while driving. They could, they could hit you. But for you to even get in that car, you have to trust that they won't. You have to have some level of faith there that they're not going to do it. Because if you really thought they would hit you, you wouldn't even get in the car, right? That is a small example of living by faith. Let me give you another one. When you sat down in that chair, you believed it would hold your weight. You'd never sat in that chair before, so you don't know. Unless you're one of those church people that sits in the same chair every week, then you know. But as you walked in this room, you said, these chairs look reasonably reliable. They don't look comfortable. And you found out you were right about that. But... Actually, these are comfortable right here. Pro tip, these, not over there. Um, what you found out is the chair holds your weight. And you didn't, you didn't consciously sort of like do the math on that. You weren't like, oh, will this chair hold me? I don't know. Let me gingerly sit down and see. No, you didn't do that. You walk in the room subconsciously. You sort of go like everyone else is sitting in a chair. I guess this will hold me. And you were right. Um, it looks reasonable to believe that this chair will hold me up. It's holding everyone else up. That's a reasonable thing. But you don't know. It's a, it's a small piece of faith in your daily life. Let me give you another example. Anything that happened before your lifetime, you have to accept on faith. Apparently, there were some world wars. Those were before my lifetime. There's like all sorts of things through history that we have to accept that somebody was there, they wrote it down, and what they said was true. But, if, but how far back can we go with that? Think about Alexander the Great. You've probably all heard of Alexander the Great, conquered a bunch of the ancient world around Rome. Uh, they, make move, they make horrible Hollywood films about him, and they write books about him, all that kind of stuff. Oh, Alexander the Great, he, what do we know about him? Well, he was, you know, great and, and powerful and had a big army and all that. Yeah, you've heard all that. You probably believe that, that he existed and that he really did those things. The truth is, there's nothing written about Alexander the Great until 400 years after he died. That's a pretty big gap, don't you think, of history? Like 400 years later, people are like, yeah, there was a guy back then. He did some stuff. Let's write it down. And we are trusting that to be true as we think about history. That is a big step of faith that we are making about something 
like you do with all of history. You're like, I wasn't there. I have to believe and, and, and think that other people are trustworthy, and I have to have faith. We all have faith, and it shows up all over our lives. Now, religious people take faith to another level, don't they? Christians are talking about, oh, I'm supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. If you've seen the Denzel Washington movie, Book of Eli, they take that idea and blow it up like in a, in a pretty cool way, where they kind of go extra with that idea of what does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight. Um, but that's a, that's a popular idea for religious people that, that we would do that. Uh, for Christians, faith isn't optional. It's actually just baked into uh, our lives. It's, it's, a, it's a key central component. So I want to talk about faith and, and talk about why we should live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? What does it look like when we live by faith? Uh, what is faith? Kind of sort through some of those I- issues because in our modern world, faith can seem silly or unnecessary. Why do I need faith in 21st century America? I have air conditioning. I have refrigeration. I don't, I'm not relying on the crops. You are, you just don't know it, but I'm not relying on that stuff. I have I don't need faith. Why do I need faith when I have science? Why do I need faith when I have an iPhone? If I don't know something, I will ask Siri. We can solve all the things of the world. I don't need faith anymore. That is what ancient people had when they couldn't figure things out. I can figure them out now. I don't need faith anymore. But I think we're missing something there. So let's talk about what faith is. In the New Testament, there's a book that was written. and It's the only book in the New Testament we're really not sure who wrote it. Um, and it's the book of Hebrews, and this is an interesting book because it kind of straddles the line between the New Testament, which we think of as being a Christian book, or Christian set of books, and the Old Testament, which we think of as a Jewish set of books. The book of Hebrews is written in the New Testament era in the first century, but is written to Jewish people talking about Jewish things and how Jesus is a fulfillment of those Jewish things. And so it, it kind of straddles this line between Christianity and Judaism uh, in, a, in a really interesting way. And there's a, there's a, a, a famous chapter in, in Hebrews, and it is called, it is often called like the Hall of Faith, um, where, because Christians get clever like that, and, and that's what they, someone decided to call it. But it, it's about uh, how people have lived by faith historically, and it talks about what faith is. So let's start with what faith is. We're going to start with Hebrews chapter 11. We'll start with verse 1. I'm going to read several verses out of this chapter. Okay, it says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. We, by, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, what is faith? It starts by saying faith is two things, the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. Now, assurance is an interesting word. When I hear the word assurance, I think of a concept like certainty. Faith is like assurance, it's like certainty, like you're sure something's going to happen, you're certain of it. But that's not actually what assurance means. When you give someone assurance, you're trying to encourage them and help them believe something that they don't know if it's true. Hey, I'm going to meet you for coffee Friday, 8 a.m. I promise I'll be there. I can assure you I will show up. They don't know if it's true. You're trying to assure them and make them feel secure in this, in this thing. By You make this, uh, the definition of positive declaration intended to give confidence, a promise. For Christians, it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What are we hoping for? 
Well, let me tell you what I'm hoping for and what, what um, I think humanity hopes for. We're hoping for an end to this mess. We're hoping for the sad things to come untrue. We're hoping for the bad stuff to be wiped away. We're hoping for God to make a straight path out of the crooked ones. We're hoping for an end to death and destruction and war and famine and suffering and disease. We're hoping for a time that, that Christ promised where there will be a new heaven and new earth and, and one of the features of that place is that there will be no more tears and no more sorrow. We're looking forward to that because here and now there's a lot of tears and there's a lot of sorrow. And this is what we're hoping for. I can't see it yet, but I live in faith that it's, that it's coming. It's not just wishful thinking, oh, I wish this would happen. No, there's, there's something more. In fact, that verse says it's a conviction of things unseen. We don't talk about convictions much in our culture. If you have convictions, it's probably because you did jail time is the way we talk about convictions. But convictions, like in my gut, no matter what anyone else thinks about it, whether anyone else thinks it's right or wrong, I have convictions about this. In our culture, we don't love that. We only want you to have convictions if they align with kind of our current American sort of progressive ideals. You can have convictions as long as they fit into this narrow, narrow band here of, of way, the way American culture is going, that kind of thing. But what does it look like to stand with conviction and go, I have a conviction, as the writer of Hebrews says, in the unseen. I am convinced there's something coming. I'm convinced there's an arc of history. I'm convinced God has a plan and he's weaving something throughout history, including in my life. I can't prove it to you. There is faith there. I, I don't have certainty. If I had certainty, I wouldn't need faith. But I live by faith and I have hope and I have conviction. And the, the author of Hebrews gives an example. By faith we believe that God spoke the universe into existence. By his word he spoke and it happened. Can you prove it? I can't prove it. I wasn't there. It's a long time ago. God spoke the universe into existence. Is it hard for me to believe that there is an almighty creative being who can speak something into existence? I don't think that's hard to believe. Like, I, I don't think it's that hard that if there was an almighty creator that, that he could use his voice and just speak it and then it, it appears. I think that's believable. It's in the realm of possible. But I, I wasn't there. I have to believe in faith that it happened. Um, and I don't know when it happened. I don't have a lot of details. I don't know how it worked. Um, you know, you, 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 I've learned from first grade probably on in the textbooks in school where they're like, the, the universe is 13.7 billion years old, right? We've all probably heard that, learned that in school, right? Except this past week, I read an article that scientists were like, actually, we think maybe the universe is 11.4 billion years old, not 13.7. I think it's disturbing that they're off by a couple billion years. That's a lot of years to get that wrong. Like, that's, you just definitely missed something there, you know. But they're revising their estimates or whatever. And I, uh, So, you know, if you think the universe looks a little younger than you thought it did, it's because it might be. It's actually it's looking, it's looking very healthy right now. Um, but we don't know. None of us were there. We're guessing, right? We, we're living in faith that we think this is the way things went down. And if there was a big bang, I have no problem thinking God said bang and then it banged. I don't know. It's not that hard. Um, it's not so hard to believe in faith that God speaks something into existence. So that's what faith is. It's assurance and conviction of the, the unseen. But what does faith do? 
this is where Hebrews starts listing out a whole bunch of examples of people who are living by faith, examples of their actions. Listen, uh, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Here's uh, Adam and Eve's children is with Cain and Abel, and he says, you know, Abel offered the sacrifice to God. Abel offered the first fruits. He offered the first of his livestock as an offering to God, and God accepted that. And that was a, a, a powerful thing. And, and that, is, that is him saying, God, I'm going to give you the best that I have, and then I'm going to live off of the rest. It is the same concept as when believers today say, I'm going to give God a, a, a tenth or more of my money, and I'm going to give that away and, and trust in faith that God is going to provide for me, that me plus God and, and 90% of my money is better than me without God and 100% of my money. That's, that's the way believers looked at it, in part based on those kind of ideas. And then in their descendants, Enoch is mentioning another one. So it's, it's listing these people who lived by faith and things they were doing. Then it goes into a bunch more, and the, these are some people you've probably heard of. Listen to this. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was, to go out to, to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So Noah, Abraham, Moses, these are large figures in the history of the world that, that kind of sit over multiple world religions, the, these people. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews is pointing back to them and saying, look at what they did. Look at their actions. Look at, look at Noah building an ark when he's not seen the rain. Look at Noah Noah saying, well, God's going to flood the earth. I don't know what that's like, but he told me to build this big boat in the middle of dry land. I guess I'll do it. Look at Abraham. God's telling Abraham, go to this place you've never been to, and I'm going to prepare a place there for you. It's going to be great. And Abraham's like, I don't know. I guess we're just going to go, and we're going to travel, and, and I guess we'll just go where God calls us. These are, these are, these are how our, our faith is expressed. It's not mental assent. It's not like, oh, yeah, I believe that. It's I believe that, and I'm going to pack up the wagons and go. There's action behind the faith. Um, and listen to, listen to further down in the chapter. I love this part. Listen to what he, he's listed all these people through the book of Hebrews. And then towards the end of chapter 11, it says this. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Who are these folks? I don't know, the writer's like, we don't have time to get into all this, but this is a bunch of other stuff that's happened. And he says, the world's not worthy of these people. Why? Because they, they are fierce in their faith. 
They believe, yes, mentally, but they act. They step out. They do things with their faith. It takes action because if you don't take action with your faith, it's no faith at all. Real faith does something. Real faith gives away money when you're not sure that you're going to have enough. Real faith speaks up to a friend about Jesus when you're not sure how they're going to respond to it. Real faith trusts God with your sexuality, even though it makes you uncomfortable and you're afraid that if you go God's plan, you're going to be somehow alone or, 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 or sad. Real faith commits to serve and says, I'm going to step up and serve, even though I'm not sure if I'm going to have time to do that. It takes action. Now, action is not busy work. It's not busy work. It's not being busy for the sake of busy. Um, faith is, is, is action. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's an action that moves us towards God. And what does it feel like? I mean, intellectually, you can go, yeah, faith is risk. Or, or, or what it feels like is risk. Intellectually, we could say faith is mental ascent. But what does it feel like? It feels like risk. It feels like stepping out. It feels like a step into the unknown when I'm not sure how it's going to work out. And the control freaks in the room don't like this, right? Because we go like, I don't want to step out and not know the outcome. I'd rather assure myself and, and make sure I can get the outcome perfect, and then I will step out. That's not faith. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you took a risk? And I don't mean risk for risk's sake. I don't mean, yeah, I went to Vegas and put it all on black and let it ride. I don't mean that kind of risk. I mean, when was the last time you stepped out in faith and took a risk and you had to trust God? It's something that built your trust in God because you weren't sure how it was going to work out. So here's my lingering question in all this. I can tell you what faith is. I can tell you what faith does. But I'm still stuck with the question as a 21st century American. I'm still stuck with the question, why does this even matter? Like, why should I live by faith? What's the point? Is what, what good is it today to live by faith? Why do this? Let me give you two things. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I skipped over this verse. I want to come back to it. This is what it says. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So faith is a key component for us to even be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We have to have faith. If we, if we don't, we won't be able to please Him. We won't even be able to be in a relationship with Him. Now, why is that true? If, if we accept that, okay, you need faith in your relationship with God, why is that true? Well, I can't see God. That's why I need faith. Yeah, there's more, though. There's more to it than that. Think about it this way. In every human relationship you're in, you have to have faith. Faith and trust together in all human relationships. I have to trust you that you're going to do what you say and you have to trust me. I have to trust you that you're not going to betray me and, I, and you have to trust me. I have to trust you, you have to trust me, right? Um, I don't know that about you. We could be in a long-term relationship. I could know you for decades and I still don't 100% certain know. Any of us are capable of betrayal. We're all saints and sinners. We're all good and the bad. We're all broken and, 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 and healing. Um, that's, that exists inside of us. And so you're, it's possible you could betray. So I don't know for sure. So I have to have faith and trust in our relationship for our relationship to work, for us to have any relationships. Faith has to be there. If that is true about human relationships, how much more true is that about our relationship with God? We have to 
have faith and trust, um, partly because we can't see him, right? It's different. Um, but, but, but I think because if we're going to have a real relationship with the real God, then faith has to be a part of that as well. Our relationship to God is going to look different than our relationship with other people. Our relationship with God, I've heard it compared this way. I think it's an interesting idea. We relate to God in the way that Hamlet relates to Shakespeare. Hamlet's in a particular world and interacting with people, but there's an author that he wouldn't necessarily know in that way, but, but he can know or he can understand that there's maybe something greater going on here. Um, and, I, and I think that's an interesting idea that we're kind of in these different realms between us and God and we, we relate to him differently. We don't relate to God just with our five senses. This is why he gives us more than that to connect with him. So it, it's an interesting thing if God wants to be in a relationship with us and we want to be in a relationship with him, God has to do it in a particular way and, and faith has to be a part of it. Like Anyone who experiences God in the scriptures, it's written about, where they had a physical, tangible expression of God, it freaks them out. It's not like, oh, I just met God and it was so cool and I just felt warm. It terrifies people when they have an up-close encounter with God. And so God, the creator, uh, would overwhelm us, the created, if he appears to us in that way. So God has to walk this line of appearing to people enough so that they can believe in him, but not overwhelming them. If God shows up to you in your bedroom, physically, tangibly, unavoidably, you would be like, I, I have to believe in God because he was just standing right here, right? But that, that kind of messes with your free will a little bit. Now you don't have the option. It's like, in order for, for someone to love me, they have to choose to love me. If you have no choice but to love me, that's not love. And so God has to walk this line of appearing to us but giving us an option to, to uh, reject or to love him. And so he shows up in a way where he's not overwhelming us. And I think that's a, a powerful thing. Blaise Pascal, uh, the theologian and mathematician, said it this way, what can be seen on earth indicates neither the total absence nor the manifest presence of divinity, but the presence of a hidden God. Everything bears this stamp. I love that. As you look through a, a telescope or a microscope or you just use your eyes and you look around the world, here's what you're seeing. You're not seeing there is God and you're not seeing there's definitely no God here. You're seeing, uh, hey, wait a minute, something's going on. There's something bigger here. There's a longing inside me that it needs to be fulfilled here. I'm, I'm, I'm pining for something that is greater. There's something that I think maybe is just around the corner or just over that hill or just in the shadow and I just can't quite see it. I, I think that is how God reveals himself to us so that we will choose to be in a loving relationship with him and we will live by faith. So the first thing is to live, the reason we live by faith is that's how we can be in a relationship with God. But the second thing, and this is going to really help us on our climb up the second mountain, um, the second thing is this, faith has the power to fill in the gaps. You see, there are gaps between what happens and what we think it means. So something terrible happens in our circumstances, uh, uh, you know, uh, abuse and, and, and death and pain and suffering around us and in us and in our families and in our friends and loved ones and at work and all that. Something terrible happens and then there's this spot where we're left with, 
what the heck is going on? Why is this happening? What is the meaning of this? Why, why did my friend commit suicide? Why, why did my friend's child die? Why did my cousin do that? Why, like, why? You have these gaps, and you just go, like, I don't know what to do with this. This is horrible. What, what does it mean? And so, what do you do when you're in that moment? Why is this evil? Why is this happening to me? A lot of people, they run harder. They, they, they go, I'm just going to go pound the pavement. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do all the yoga. I'm just going to get as healthy as I can be because they're trying to deal with this, this pain. A lot of people um, drink and they go, you know what, I'm just going to turn to some sort of drug of choice to numb how I'm feeling right now because this is awful. A lot of people go pick up a self-help book and go, I'm going to do something positive here. I'm going to read about, you know, how amazing I am and, and the, the power within and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and faith comes along and fills in those gaps. Faith says, my friend committed suicide, but God has a plan. And I don't know what it is, um, but I believe in him. And maybe God is showing me something. And maybe God's trying to wake me up also to the suffering of people around me. Faith says, my kids are making decisions that they like, but I don't like, and I don't like the direction this is going, and it's my job to teach them and model for them and mentor for them, but I don't own them, and I can't control them, and they're making their own decisions, but faith says, my children belong to God, and I'm going to trust him, even if it's not working out the way I would like it, and I will learn to walk by faith, which means I will, I will do my work on the process, but I will trust him for the results. I can show up and do my thing, but I'm going to trust how he's going to work it, work it out. Faith bridges those gaps between what happens and what we think it means. Now, this leaves it open to the criticism that you might be thinking right now. Chris, the way you describe faith is really what you're describing then is just a psychological crutch for weak people. Yeah, bad stuff happens. You don't know what to do with it. Call it faith. You know, just have faith and you'll be okay. And I get why people say that. I get why people think Christianity, why people think faith is a crutch. Um, and I just want to say, maybe it is. Maybe it is therapeutic. That doesn't make it bad and it doesn't make it wrong. I think faith is actually extremely useful and, and helpful because it adds structure around life. It gives us a guide. It gives us a, a, a reliable guide, a way to walk up the mountain. If you're going to climb that mountain, you're going to need a reliable guide, and it's helpful to have someone, in, in this case, God saying, this is the path. You ever gone rock climbing? So I first went like in 1999. I was living in Colorado, and it was not at one of those climbing gyms where there's like handholds that are like colored, you know, color coordinated, where you climb up those. On an actual rock out in a forest or whatever, there's no colorful handholds. There's just like rock that bites into your fingers and like, you know, and the best you get is maybe there's some dust of chalk or whatever where someone else put their hand there. And I was climbing up and you're wearing these like tiny shoes. I don't know why tiny shoes is part of it, but it's a thing. And you're wearing these shoes that are way too small for you and you're climbing up and it's pretty uncomfortable and you're, you're on the rock and you're, you're there and usually there's someone on belay who's holding you at the bottom, and maybe some other people who are at the bottom waiting, and they're, they're watching you climb. And here's the deal. They can see things you can't. You're so close to it that you can't see what's the next thing to grab. 
But they're at the bottom and they're going, oh, there's a way up right there. You just need to. And so they start calling out directions to you like you're playing Twister but without the spinny thing and without the colors. And they're like, put your right hand up and there's a handle there. Now take your left foot and move it up and now stand there. And like, so because they have a, a wider perspective, right? They can see and they, they, they become, because they've got the, the bigger picture, they become a reliable guide to you. They can say, this is the way you should go. Go, go up this way. And that's like a, 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 very, a very helpful thing because you're so close to it, you just, can't, you just can't see it. Now, here's the key issue. Because I believe faith in God is like that. He's the reliable guide that's, that's calling you up to the path and he can see what you can't see. Um, here's the catch, though. I don't know that faith for faith's sake just has a whole lot of value. Like, I don't know if it's like, you know, because you hear that sort of popular culture. Well, just have faith. Faith in what? Doesn't matter. Just have faith. And it's like, no, what you put your faith in matters. Like, if I'm climbing up a, a, a rock wall and I'm like, I think I should grab right here. And you're like, you should grab right there. Which one of us is right? Whoever believes it more. Whoever has the most faith. I really have faith in here that this is right. Therefore, I'm going to go that way. No. I'll tell you who's right. It's whichever one you grab and the rock holds, that was the right way to go. It wasn't about if I believed it enough. It was about what are you actually holding on to and will it get you there? And this is where I think Christianity shines. The God of the universe comes to earth and doesn't stay aloof, doesn't say, I don't know how to climb your wall. It's too far away from me. I'm in the clouds. The God of the universe walks on earth, suffers and dies in the form of Jesus experiences our pain. It says, that the New Testament says he's, um, he can sympathize with us in our weakness. He's climbed that mountain before and he says, I know the way to go. These are the way, this is where you need to hold on. And, and we in faith believe that Jesus is trustworthy and true and he is with us. Now you may be a skeptic and you may say, I don't know, man, that's interesting. All that talk about faith, that's interesting. But you may go to lunch right now and you're going to say this. This will tumble out of your mouth and I've heard it from plenty of people. You'll say something like, that may work for them. That guy on stage or maybe some of those other people in the room, they may live by faith. I'm not a person of faith. It doesn't come easy for me. It comes easy for other people, I guess. But it's never really, it's never really come easy for me. And I get that. Actually, you sound like my dad when you say that. I've heard that before for a long time. But the truth is, it doesn't come easy for me either. It doesn't come easy for anybody. These are choices we make. And I would actually challenge you and say, try making a different choice for a while. Try it out. Pray. Seek. Ask God. Keep showing up here and having the conversation. Get into a small group. Get to know some people and ask them how they're living it out, how they're walking up that mountain. See if there's anything real there for you. In the, in the profound words of the theologian Miley Cyrus from her, song, from her song Climb, she said, keep moving, keep climbing, keep the faith, baby. It's all, about, it's all about the climb. Keep the faith, keep your faith. And then she says, whoa, oh, oh. <laughs> hey, if she's picking up on it, of what's going on in the world, it, or I should say, whoever writes her songs, if they're picking up on it, there's something going on here. We're all feeling it, like, Man, there, there's somewhere we need to go. There's, there's something greater up this hill, and it is worth, and, and faith is a, a central component, and it is worth figuring it out 
and, and, and continuing the climb. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for um, how you have orchestrated things so that you are present but not as blatantly obvious so that we have to live by faith so we can get into a, a, a real relationship with you and a trusting relationship with you. God, I know that's a struggle for a lot of people in the room. Um, I know that can be a challenge, and I know depending on our circumstances, but depending on the day, how much sleep I got, what I had for breakfast, whatever, um, I can go from faithful to agnostic pretty quick. And so, um, God, help us all to encourage each other to, um, to, to live by faith, not by sight, and to take some risks this week. God, I, I pray that there's one risk that you're calling all of us to take that we can step out this week and one way that, that you can prove that you are trustworthy to us, uh, one way that we can step out, I pray that, that you make that clear to us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.